It's been a tough week for our country as abortion has uh, again kind of found center stage in our debates. Uh, we've been paying attention, it just kind of underscores the raging conflict we have in our country around this. And uh, earlier in the week, New York State um, expanded the rights of abortion um, to include in some circumstances, right to full term. Um, and then uh, within the same week, the state of Alabama said, that's not our opinion. We're going to say that the life in the womb is a person. And that kind of underscores the divide where we are as a country. And, you know, the, the debate has shifted over the decades so far removed from the real issue of this that you might just be paralyzed by the argument. You may find yourself as a Christian wondering, how do I speak into this uh, anger? Or even, what's my stand anymore? Because you may find yourself persuaded by uh, many of the arguments. And so this is one of those times where even though in a few minutes we are going to dig back into our study on the Psalms of Ascent, this is one of those times as a pastor, I want to speak into this issue. And so we're going to spend a few minutes helping you as a Christian make sure you, you, you're on the right footing in relation to this. What is it? Where do we really stand as Christians related to this? And the simple answer is we must and always will stand with Scripture. But what does Scripture teach? Because the arguments seem to kind of sidestep it. And that's one of the, one of the problems with how the debate, debate has re, uh, re, you know, uh, developed over the, over the years, it's become an issue where in the public dialogue, the loudest voices, the ones that get the biggest press, are the ones that have turned the debate about abortion into this. If you're against abortion rights, you're against women's rights. So in order to have an opinion about the sacredness of the unborn, if you express that at all, then you're accused of being against women. Do you see the bait and switch in that argument? Do you see the issue with that? And that's why so many of us are so intimidated by it. It is a smokescreen. It's not actually the issue. And it's the way you win arguments by shifting the point away from the moral question. And so I just want to address that. First of all, I want to tell you that there should be no group of people that are more pro-women than Christians. So let's be clear about that. My Christianity is 100% pro-women's, pro-women's rights. Jesus was a revolutionary in terms of the rights of women. He opened the table back up to them in a culture that had closed it off. So don't let anybody tell you that to have a certain Christian opinion about the unborn means that we aren't for women. We are absolutely for women. Can we be clear about that? And we ought to, as, as a community, fight for the equality and opportunities of women in, in our world. You with me so far? Yeah. All right. Now, let's get down to the actual issue of life in the womb and what the Bible actually says about it. The, the verse that's up on the screen is a great starting point. I'm, I'm by no means going to cover the, the expansive teaching of Bible, of the Bible and the, of the unborn, but here's a good starting point. Why don't we say this together? 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. This is what God says to the prophet Jeremiah as he's calling him into ministry. And while it is a personal message, it's also a general truth that God is engaged relationally, personally, in the life of the unborn in the same way he's engaged personally in your life today. That Hebrew word knew is not I knew about you. It's not information. It's relational. He's saying, I am personally engaged with a life in the womb in the same way I'm engaged with all human life. That is very important for us to understand God's perspective. It's why in the Old Testament law, if a person harmed a woman who was with child, and as a result the child died in the womb, that was murder. Now that's something that has been removed now from the New York statutes. I want to be very clear not to try to debate legislation. I've learned over the years, and frankly a lot of you who are on social media should learn too this fact. Don't debate legislation you haven't read. Just don't. Because you're not going to get it right. You're going to say things that people can debate factually with you, and you'll lose your footing. The right thing to do as Christians is to stay focused on the matters at hand for us morally. That's how we reframe the conversation in a difficult environment for these kind of things. Does that, does that make sense to you? So that's what I'm trying to do is to give us that footing. But make no mistake, to take a life, whether it was born or unborn, in the scriptures was murder. God knew you. Think about that. When you were in your mother's womb, God was already engaged with your life. Malia read a beautiful psalm that speaks to this so beautifully. Psalm 139. Let's say this together. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. All the days you ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So not only is God already engaged and knowing and caring about the life in the womb, he's already set that life's purpose in place before you took a, a breath of oxygen. That was true. Now, there is one passage that to me is, is startling in terms of what Scripture teaches about life in the womb. And that's an encounter in the beginning of the Gospels, it's Luke chapter 1, where Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, you may know the story, Elizabeth and her, her husband were old and barren, and God gave them both virility and life and fertility, and miraculously she conceives, and that's John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus. He was also a relative of Jesus. Elizabeth's relative Mary conceived supernaturally by the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. And Mary, as she's pregnant with Jesus, comes to visit Elizabeth. And this is how Scripture records the encounter. Let's say this together. Mary entered the home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, 
and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear about what's happening here. John worshipped Jesus when he was in the womb of Elizabeth. And what that reveals to complete our understanding of life in the womb is that there is a soul in that womb. Do you you see it? Do you understand why, as Christians, we really can't go further than that debate because the Bible's so clear that that is life no less than your life sitting in that pew today. We have to stand there. That has to be our rudder in the midst of all the smoke screens and false arguments that are flying at us. That's what we need to hold to. And we need to find a way to hold to that graciously and loving for the sake of people who need to understand it. Rather than allowing ourselves to be pitted on sides of a debate that is the wrong debate and somehow losing our voice. So I, I, I can't tell you how important that is that we, that we get that. Now at the beginning of this presentation I, I threw as a backdrop a picture of a baby What you may not know is that's my new grandson, Silas (laughs) Benjamin (laughs) Colton. (laughs) And and now, Tom, you're pulling pulling our emotional thing. I totally am. I totally am. But there's an important factual truth, too, about this story. You see, Anna and David, for several years, have been saving their money with a great sense of mission to have their first child be adopted. It's not out of need, it's out of calling. They wanted to give a baby who otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity, an option. They wanted to give a mother an option. And uh, they've been selling candles and, you know, bars of soap. It's good soap. (laughs) And saving up all their money to make this happen. And, you know driving cars with high mileage on them because they just understood this calling. I'm very proud of them. Silas was born a month early. Five pounds and then down to four and a half pounds. And he is now just two weeks old. Now here's what I want you to understand is that if Silas right now at his current personhood, was still in his mother's womb. If Silas had gone to full term, that baby would still be at risk under how we currently view abortion and the direction our country and many want to take it. Yeah. You see, you see why this is still important for us? Now, I am so proud that as a church, we have come to terms with the fact that social justice is not a one-issue thing. And I will tell you that the, the evangelical church, which uh, we would identify theologically with, although I, 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 I hesitate to identify myself with that movement currently in terms of a lot of things that are associated with it. We are evangelical in our theology. But for too long, 
for the evangelical movement, this was the only issue that we were fixated on. We were not fully pro-life because we didn't care for the living in the same way that we were caring for the life in the womb. And I'm so proud that, as a, that we're part of a movement within Christianity that understands our call to be fully pro-life. And we do a lot and, and celebrate all that we do to fight for those who are not experiencing justice and who uh, need help and need coming alongside. But we cannot walk away from this issue because it's unpopular. We just can't. So I, I have a few things, just in terms of implication, that I want to I just bring to you. First of all, there's no way that we can ever talk about an issue like this in today's environment where there isn't somebody or some persons who have had an abortion or know someone who has. And so I recognize for, for you here that uh, you know, hearing this can be used by Satan to make you feel beaten down and defeated and guilty. I, I, I cannot change what Scripture says, but what I can tell you is there is grace, that even that God fully knows, and He loves you, and He offers forgiveness. And you can find grace and ought to embrace that grace. But here's the other thing I want to say to you. God can use all of our past and redeem it for a purpose in the future. And this is one area where God could redeem that decision by you being involved in helping others make better choices and decisions. It's one way that God can use you in that. Secondly, the way... I would like to encourage you to engage with all these other arguments that are brought up to us, is to stay focused on the facts of Scripture and the truth of this. And with all of these different arguments about rights and health and all these different things, legality and rights, all those different things, every time there's an argument that seems persuasive to you, ask yourself, how that argument would play, not with an unborn human, but with a one-year-old child. Is that fair? Or how that argument would play if it was your life right now that was at risk? <laughs> how would that argument play then? Or even the murderer on death row that as a society were so set on saving their life. How would the arguments that are right now used to justify the death of an unborn play in any of those other settings. That's how you know what is a legitimate fact and what a legitimate thing to wrestle with. And don't be moved by anything else. Does that make sense to you? And then finally, one of the things I noticed this week, and I, it's just anecdotal, so it's not meant to be accusatory, is that the people that have been most verbal about these things are people my age on Facebook. And you haven't been doing well, by the way. A lot of anger, a lot of comments that you haven't really researched, and you're actually harming your cause <laughs> and the cause of Christ by doing that, so be careful. But one of the things I've noticed is the silence of young adults 
on social websites about this. I don't know why that's the case, but it has me thinking that as a pastor, I want to say to the younger generation here, you need to pick up this mantle. You need to. As a follower of Jesus, to be fully engaged in social justice as a Christian, this needs to be part of your platform, of your agenda, wherever else you stand on politics and other issues. This needs to be a part of it. Here's the challenge with that. When we do as Christians social justice that the world agrees with, we're all over that. (laughs) We're all over that. It's easy to do stuff that the world will say, well, that's so great that you do that. But we don't do social justice in the name of Jesus so that the world will like us. We do social justice because it's right and because it's part of the kingdom of God. And we need to learn to be as engaged in social justice causes that are not popular with the world for the sake of the lives that are impacted by it and for the glory of God. Why do you do what you do? And what are you willing to let it cost you to seek social justice being fully pro-life in all of its matters? Something that I really want to encourage you to think about. I want to read one quote before we move on. That's Matt Chandler, who in talking about this issue said, As the church, we must not say of abortion, this is murder, without saying to the pregnant woman, we will serve you. If we are doing the former without the latter, we aren't truly understanding the gospel. We must listen, love, foster, adopt, give money, babysit, donate supplies, mentor young women, and support in whatever ways God has equipped us. That's what I'm laying down to you. This needs to be part of who we are as a people as well. So many of us are involved in foster parenting and adopting. I'm very proud of that. The rest of us need to come around that too. All right. And you need to have the courage to engage in this lovingly with people. Help them understand the bait and switch of this and understand what we really believe in Jesus' name.